Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. She's a qualified voice coach, entertainer, speaker, presenter, and public speaking performance coach. She is an expert in helping CEOs, managers, and business trainers give dynamic, engaging, and edgy training presentations both on stage and on camera. She appears regularly on TV and film as an actor and presenter and holds a master's degree in voice and a master's in holistic health with over 30 years experience in the entertainment industry and 20 years in the coaching and speaking arena. She helps business leaders sound like a leader and present like a pro. Welcome, Elisa James, and thank you for being on my show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Awesome. Uh, it's great to be here with you as well. And I'm sure it's going to be amazing. So much value for everybody watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, just please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Yeah, look, absolutely. It, it wasn't an entrepreneur that I wanted to be necessarily, but ever since I was a child, my biggest dream was to be on the big screen. You know, I wanted to be born in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, where MGM musicals were, you know, the, the, the theme of the day. And that's what I wanted to do, be running around with Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and all that sort of stuff. Wrong era, of course, missed the boat on that one. But I absolutely made my dreams come true. And it wasn't out of talent necessarily. It was out of sheer determination and willpower. And that's one of the things that I bring to all of my trainings at the moment is because many people think that if you're very talented or gifted naturally, you could be a successful singer or a successful dancer or a successful author or speaker. What I found in my career was actually that was not true. When I was watching people grow up as a very, very shy, insecure little girl who desperately wanted to sing and act for a living, I watched so many people with confidence and charisma just shine on stage and on camera, and I desperately wanted to be them. And it wasn't because I wanted to be necessarily famous or rich. I wanted to feel accepted and valued and heard and seen and respected. That's probably the biggest thing. I wanted to feel like I had a voice and my voice mattered in the world. And that's the biggest thing that really drove me to be a creator. I'm very, very creative. I think outside the box, I've reinvented myself multiple times over my career. So when I started, even though I was a very, very shy, insecure little girl, it took me a long, long time to open out and become more bubbly and more me on stage, if you like. But I started very young at the age of 14, I believe I was um, about 14. I did my first, my first paid gig. So I'd been training for a long, long time before that, of course, as a singer, dancer, acrobatic dancer, trapeze artist and actor. And I, I, that was all my, my background was, you know, tap, jazz, ballet, dance, gymnastics, acrobatics, you know, you name it, I did it. Even baton twirling, ice skating and piano, you know, my parents, I can't even imagine. Talk about taxi driving, right? <laughs> taxi driving constantly. So this all led to a very successful career in the performing arts. And that was a 35-year journey for me, starting out in Australia. And then when I was in my late 20s, I got a record deal and moved over to the state uh, to um, Europe. And I toured all over Europe with famous artists and recorded in the studio, did lots and lots of things over there where it took me around the world basically for another 10 years. And then when I got too old to be a pop star, then as things started to dwindle, I thought, okay, I can either give up my career now as a 33-year-old aging singer, this is, this is how bad the entertainment industry gets, guys. When you get turned down because you're too old anymore to record records, then you have to think of, okay, what else am I going to do? And for me, I thought, you know what, I'm not ready to give up. I just needed to remorph and, and reinvent myself. So I became a cabaret singer and a one-woman show on cruise ships. So then I went overseas 
and I got my first gig in Tahiti and it was for six months singing in Tahiti and I ended up getting paid for singing a couple of hours a night, seven days a week, pretty much six, seven days a week and seeing the world for free. It was awesome. And I did that in pretty much every single country of the world for the next seven years. It was an incredible growth experience for me. I had to consistently come up with new shows, write new content, produce shows, speak, present, MC, sing, dance, act, you know, the whole thing. So all of that really grounded me as a person and gave me a lot of skills that most entrepreneurs don't have. Most people that I coach these days are people who grew up behind the scenes. They might be behind a computer or they're not, you know, they might be in the back end of an office somewhere, but we have to be visible these days. We cannot do business and stay invisible. It doesn't work. We have to be visible. So good on you doing a podcast or having a a business show on YouTube or doing Facebook lives or, you know, just showing up is the key. So when I transitioned, I came, I finished my career overseas. I ended up in America and did um, cabaret shows in America for a long time, one woman shows. And then when I decided to come back to Australia about eight years ago, I closed down my whole entertainment side of my career and started to coach. And when I realized that all of those skills combined over a 35-year career was something that could help business owners shine on stage, that's when it sort of tweaked for me. And the amazing opportunities opened up to me, not because I thought, who am I to teach public speaking? It's because people consistently saw me places and asked for my help. So when I ended up saying yes, often enough, I realized, well, hang on, there's a lot of people that I could help out there really find their true, authentic voice of confidence. So that's what became my passion. I didn't want to teach little children who wanted to be the next American Idol anymore. That was like, there's only so much of that you can do, you know, and I, I love helping kids fulfill their dreams in the entertainment industry. Absolutely. But you know what? There's room for this many people, people, there's room for this many talented singers. And then the rest of them like actors and singers all around the world are out of work. So how many people can I help? I can help people who need to speak up and speak out for themselves in life. People who need to speak up and speak out for themselves in business. People who need to sound like a leader on any platform. So that's my passion. And that brought me into the space that I'm at now. At 56 years old, I've been doing a lot of different things. But the last 20 years, I've been doing a lot of coaching speakers. And I absolutely love it. Awesome. What an amazing story. And um, yeah, so many places. That sounds like it would have been uh, so fun, you know, and the amazing experience. Like they say, you know, traveling is like reading a book, you know, and to, you know, different countries like reading a different page. So I can just imagine, you know, all that experience and now being able to coach people um, with that among everything else that you do with your skills is really powerful. So really awesome to hear that. And I guess, you, you, you obviously work with a lot of different people, right? You know, in, in different areas. Um, when, when they first come to you, uh, let's just say, what is maybe the first thing you notice or the first thing you normally work on with, with people when they come to you? Yeah, look, most mostly it's voice. It's the aesthetics of voice. I must say that, you know, occasionally there will be something else that I need to work on because some people may not sound like their voice needs a lot of work. But to be honest, most people need some sort of voice work. And this is the reason why I think that I've been very successful as a public speaking coach is that many other coaches and trainers in the public speaking space, and we've got massive competitors here in Australia. I'm, I'm, you know, one person, but there's big organizations that do this for tens of thousands of dollars. The people that started those organizations don't have an entertainment industry background. They don't have a voice degree background. They don't have a holistic health degree background. They work on content and marketing. And that's great for some people. But most of the people that come to me, they don't speak like a confident person. They don't speak like a leader. There's either a combination of an aesthetic sound of their voice that's holding them back 
or the way that they're constructing sentences. It's always going to be the two. So we always look at the foundation of voice first and we fix the foundation. So that's not going to cause anyone an issue. And then the secondary thing is watching how we put together those sentences so we can capture people's attention more quickly. And it's going to always be a combination. And let's face it, you can be a great speaker, but if you're speaking like this all the time, then people are going to go to sleep because it's just not very captivating. So we really need to work on the sound of the voice. And what's the first thing that people notice? It's the way we look and the way we sound. If you've ever seen there's a really great clip in some silly movie, Grown Ups, I think it is, you know, with Ben Stiller or Adam Sandler, you know, one of those funny guys. Um, and it was the, all the girls are sitting by the pool and they're, they, you know, looking their finest in their bikinis and blah, blah, blah on, the, on the lookout for a hot guy. And this hot guy is on the other side of the pool. And so he comes out and he sort of shakes his hair, you know, all the water goes everywhere and he's all these muscles are ripping, rippling and his six-pack abs, he's like close-up of everything. And then he dives into the water and does this sexy swim right across to the other side of the pool and then comes out and does the whole shake thing again and walks over to the girls and goes, hi, how's it going? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't match his brand. His voice did not match his brand. So if you're a leader, if you're a CEO, if you're a manager, you need to capture people's attention like an authoritarian, like a, not an authoritarian, that's a bad word, like a, like a leader. If you don't sound like the voice of authority, if you don't have the voice of leadership, people are not going to pay attention to you because perception is everything. You can be the biggest expert in the world, but if you're not giving that perception to the audience, they're not going to believe you because it's the sound of your voice and the way that you're carrying yourself with your voice and your presentation skills that are going to leave an impact or not. Yeah, love that. Really amazing points there. And, um, you know, I know this, that um, communication is verbal and nonverbal. And actually most of it is nonverbal, right? 93% of communication is nonverbal, even though the voice is very important, of course, but there's a lot of other things that happen outside of that when we're speaking. So do you want to maybe share a little bit about what we need to be more aware of um, when we're speaking apart from oh, the voice? Yeah, look, absolutely. No. And I think that this is where a lot of people maybe get a little bit confused because nonverbal doesn't mean non-sound. It means non-words, right? So the, the non-verbal parts of communication, of course, the way that we hold ourselves. If you look at Superman or Batman, they don't have to say a word. You know that they're the most powerful person in the room. If you see a king walking into a room, you know that that's a powerful person and you wouldn't know he's a king necessarily but because of the way he stands, he looks and seems like someone important with the authority of power or the air of authority. That's what we're looking for in alignment. Alignment, the way that we stand, the way that we present ourselves as an open, um, confident person is extremely important. But then, of course, we've got the microfacial expressions. I have people that I speak to, for instance, that are in some of my training programs. One gentleman in particular, and this is, this is a very common story, Ethan, a very common story. People who are in leadership positions but have had something going on in their past that's colouring the way that they speak, they'll speak like this in monotone, their eyes will be completely dead and they'll know exactly what they're talking about, but this is the way that they deliver their information. Hmm. Like nothing, it's like speaking to a robot. Nothing is going on. Their eyes are not in, involved at all. There's no smile. There's no light of their face. Their personality is not visible. That's that body language and micro expressions that are also very important. We have to use our whole body instrument to speak. And it starts with the way that we show up and then the way that we make sounds. So when we're talking about nonverbal, we're not, we're not talking about words because words only count for 7% of what we say. We're talking about the sounds that we make, the how we say the word and not what we say. 
The how is extremely important. And this is where people go wrong with their presentations. When they're designing a slideshow, for instance, for some sort of presentation at work or a webinar, so many people spend hours, and I know I've done this myself, hours and hours and hours and hours on the slides. The most important thing are the slides, right? And the customer journey or whatever you're doing in the slides. But guess what? If you don't practice how you're going to deliver that, you're going to bomb because everybody gets nervous. There's things going on. There's distractions. There's technical issues. There's people popping in and out, ding-dongs going all over the place. If that's all distracting and we're not focusing on the delivery of our content, you're going to miss the mark. You're not going to come across as a leader. It's all to do with how you present those words impactfully so it lands in the ears of the listener in the most powerful way. Yeah, love that. It's not what we say. It's how we say it. Yeah, powerful words. I love that very much. And like there's many speakers and singers, right? Like, you know, you've been in this world and they've lost their voice as they've got older, right? Like you can tell in their voice and when they get it to a point and, you know, I guess when you use it too much, it's probably hard to go back, right? Once you get to that point. So, you know, as, as we're now becoming aware of this, and I know this for myself among, you know, everyone else out there, what are some of the things that we can do to protect our voice so that it has longevity? Oh, great question. Yes. And these are the first people that actually helped, Aiken. And that's why I started my first online course and I called it Save My Voice or Save My Asset, because I knew that our voice is really our best asset in business, whether it's speaking or singing. Many people came to me with voice loss, speakers and singers alike. And those people were just ripping into their voice on a daily basis. And one of the you know, some of the biggest clients that I've worked with in the US as well as in Australia, they're big speakers with Tony Robbins, T.R. Vecca, Get Motivated Events with Peter Lowe. There's all these really big names out there that were just ripping to shreds their poor little voices. And they were doing that because they're driving their voice box too hard. So it's a combination of things. It's a combination of lack of good technique and grounding of the voice. So the the back pressure, the support, the engagement of the support muscles, people don't know about that stuff if they've not done any voice training. So that technique is very important. But then the other side of the equation is how much speaking do we really have to do? If you're talking about, for instance, I work with a lot of Tony Robbins coaches and years ago when we all went to events live and we were there for six days, That's a big ask for many people, especially coaches, because the coaches on the ground, the ones that are working with these big speakers, are dealing with noise and music and mayhem and music too loud and speaking with their microphone over the music. It's really hard environment to speak in. So you have to have in those sorts of environment, yes, you have to have good technique, but you've also got to have very good strategies about when you're going to stop speaking and what you're going to do to support your voice in between your breaks. So some of my speakers, for instance, when they have these really high-end gigs, I give them an arsenal. They have a big basket, basically, of stuff that they have to take with them, you know, all their, their supplements and their powders and their sprays and their steamer and, you know, all the things that they can take with them. And then they might take photos of themselves in the green room surrounded by all this stuff, you know. But they really need to be that strict. You need to do warm up. You need to do cool down. You need to stay hydrated. You need to take certain supplements that support the actual mucosal lining of the vocal folds. And you need to understand how your voice works. And when all of that's put together, it's a rehabilitation routine that I teach these people. When that's put together really well, you can manage your voice for your entire life if you're super vigilant. Now, some people are not because they love to talk. And they love to talk loud and they love to push their voice like Tony Robbins. But look at poor Tony Robbins. He's ripped his vocal folds to shreds. Apparently, according to him, his vocal folds are literally being destroyed so badly that they're little thin pieces of fold that don't work properly. And his false vocal folds, these flaps of skin on the outside of the true vocal folds are taking over the slack and that's how he speaks. It's horrible. I can't even understand how he does that. It's just, it's scary. 
You don't want to get there because there's no going back. There's absolutely no going back. So the second that you get a sore throat or you feel that that something like that is happening to you, you'll go croaky, you'll go raspy, the sound won't be clear anymore, you get pain in your throat area and then maybe even lose your voice, you need to pay attention to your body. It's like, can you imagine if you were banging your arm in the door every single day, 50, 100 times a day, your arm is going to get pretty swollen and bruised pretty quickly, right? It's something that we can see tangibly. And if there was a massive swollen lump and bloody mess on your arm, you'd be going, maybe I shouldn't bang my my arm in the door anymore because that's really bad for my arm, Because right? <laughs> you can see it. But we don't do that with our voice for whatever reason. We just ignore it and think it's going to get better all by itself. Sometimes it doesn't. And if you listen to singers like Elton John, great example, or um, who's the Jimmy Barnes in Australia, they, they hardly have eight notes anymore. Like literally, that's that's not many notes. In, in a singer's arsenal, we need to have 14, 24, 30 notes available to us, at least three octaves we need available to us for, for normal singing tasks. If you only have five to eight notes left because of damage, it might be too late. You don't want to go there. Prevention is much better than cure. Yeah, love that. Really amazing points there to uh, how we can help our voice for longevity. So you mentioned before about, you know, how we're perceived, right? So, you know, how we're sounding to others determines whether they perceive us as a leader, which is what you also were talking about before, right? So how can we sound more like a leader? Yeah, great. I love it. The very first thing that I teach people is how to get rid of the disempowering vocal sounds. That's the most important thing because it's, as I said, it's the sound of the voice as well as the construction of the sentences. So if we look at the disempowering vocal sounds for a minute, if you can eliminate those five very common sounds, which I'll show you, then it makes you sound more confident and succinct right off the bat. The very first thing that I notice in a lot of women under the age of about 26, this is very prevalent. It started in America with Disneyland and it's called vocal fry. Oh my God, my parents were so annoying on the weekend. I just went blah, blah, blah. When you're adding that vocal fry and you hear it a lot in women, you hear it a lot in people who are shy introverted, if they've been shut down as a child at a a very young age, they will learn particular ways of speaking. And what I noticed that people who have some sort of trauma or anxiety, they've been shut down at, at home in their life, grown up where children should be seen and not heard. If they're grown up in that environment, they pretty much have all five disempowering vocal sounds. Like literally it's it's quite common. And this is why I saw the patterns happening over the last 20 years and, and developed a little training for that. The very first one is vocal fry. If you sound like that all the time, like some of my clients do when they first come to me, it sounds like you're sick. It sounds like you're depressed. It sounds like you don't care. It's not going to show people that you're in charge of the situation. It's very disempowering. It comes across and gives the perception to other people. It's not the perception that you want. Another one, number two, is the trail off. If you're speaking, and this is exactly the same um, origin of, of voice, it's the same type of thing when people have been shut down. They'll speak really clearly for a minute and then their voice will sort of trail off. So it's basically technologically or or physiologically what we're really doing is stopping the driving of the engine system. When we drive our voice correctly with the correct muscles, which has nothing to do with up here, by the way, which is surprising for most people to learn, when you drive them correctly from the muscles down here in your respiratory system, then the voice stays clean and clear all the way to the end of the sentence. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't go loud, soft, high, low and use vocal variety. Not at all. I'm just saying that every word, whether it's softer or louder, is clear. You can be as loud and as soft as you want 
on any note in any sentence. But if you're not driving your muscles correctly, you'll get a really clear sound for a little bit and then then and it's really hard to understand people when they allow that to happen. It's hard to understand that noise that's created by the vocal fry. And it's very hard to understand people who trail off their last one or two words in a sentence. People will have to literally lean in to hear what you said. And here's the problem, Ethan, with the five disempowering vocal sounds. You're making people work too hard. If you make people work too hard, they're going to switch off. It's as simple as that. So number three, what is number three? Monotone. I'm, I've got them all out of order here because I'm just pulling that out of my head. Monotone. All of what we're talking about with these five disempowering vocal sounds what is what I call predictive prosody. And when we have any type of predictive prosody, it's a predictive pattern that people will recognize very, very quickly and stop listening. So a predictive pattern could be the, uh, that could be a predictive pattern. Another one, the trail off, that's a predictive pattern because most of the people don't do it once, they do it all the time in every sentence. And it drives me crazy. When I'm training people, I've got a, um, some people that I trained for YouTube, I'm, I'm helping them build their YouTube channel. When they speak really loudly, you get this phasing sort of notion and you hear some of the words, but you don't hear the others. That phasing makes it very hard for people to follow you. And again, you make them to work too hard. They switch off right? Monotone is also a predictive prosody. It doesn't matter whether it's or using more or less one note the whole time when you're speaking is extremely boring. And in my little book, the the seven, um, seven deadly sins of public speaking, I call that hypnotizing your audience. Because let's face it, if you want somebody to really go to sleep and let's all relax and calm down, we're going to use pretty much the same tone the same pitch all the time. And we're going to use a very soft, very airy sort of sound because it makes people relax. And that hypnotizing our audience makes people just switch off again. Now, great if you're a hypnotherapist, <laughs> great if you're a counselor, but if you're a public speaker or a leader, you cannot afford to turn your audience away. You cannot hypnotize them. Another one is monkey mind, monkey mouth. And this is very prevalent in many people who are very anxious is that they just keep talking. There's no pause anywhere. They just literally keep talking. And when you're doing that, that ramble is just a, a clean blueprint of the chaos that's going on in your brain. Like literally that's what's going on. So when you have a very busy brain, a very busy mind that doesn't switch off, that's going to come out with a bit of verbal diarrhea. And many people will just keep rambling on. But the problem is that they lose focus and they lose themselves inside their own sentence. When they lose themselves inside their own sentence, you'll notice that they literally just stop talking and then, and you know, what I meant is, and then they'll say something else because they forgot where they were. And if they forget where they were, the audiences have going to have no idea where they were, right? So again, it's, it's making people switch off. So all of these things lead to massive imperceptions when, we're, when we want to give the perception that we're an expert and a leader we need to fix these verbal cues and make sure that people really have a clear understanding of what you're saying and are able to stay with you all the time and not lose focus. Yeah, love that. Amazing, amazing points there. And, um, you know, we're getting much more into a virtual world now, right? Where we're doing, yeah. you know, obviously because of COVID, you know, we're not doing a lot of stuff as much. It's get, you know, I think Zoom's really taken off, right? So, and a lot of people, whether it's one-on-one staff or, you know, doing trainings with large numbers, they're speaking, right? On a, on a virtual stage, let's call it on Zoom. So, you know, for people that are doing that, because it's a little bit different, obviously, than, you know, being out there, maybe what are some tips, you know, that you can give us? That oh yeah look that. absolutely and I love this sort of stuff because again many people and and even my really successful business coaches sorry about the planes going I bet it's going crazy today um the successful business coaches that I teach 
sometimes they have a real hard time transitioning to online because they're very used to being on a big stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people. And so it was quite daunting to have to try to recreate that all online. So here's the, the like really, really simple things. When you're opening your presentation, rehearse your intro, rehearse your outro. Because this is an online space and we've got loads of things that can go wrong technically, you don't want to be distracted. You want to have your introduction in muscle memory. And of course, if you're introducing someone like you did, you know, when you were introducing me, Ethan, that, that, that might be a little tricky to memorize everything. But if you have your dot points written out and you read them through a few times before you get on camera, those dot points will flow much more effectively out of your mouth, even in muscle, when it's in muscle memory. If it's in muscle memory, then it doesn't matter whether you're adjusting the mic, ticking 10 things, typing to somebody, let people in. If you're doing all that sort of stuff and you've rehearsed this 10, 20, 30 times, it will still come out of your mouth and it'll still sound confident. You won't go, ah, uh, um, just give me a minute. Um, let me, are we on? You know, it's like all this sort of stuff happens and it looks really unprofessional. When you hit that go button, that live button, that record button, it's got to be showtime, folks. It literally has to be curtains up. You're not going to get on stage and then do your shoes up and go to the audience. Just give me a minute. You're just not going to do that. So I don't see why people think that they can do that on camera. This is stage. This is our stage. And it's just as important as any other stage. So be prepared and learn your introduction as best you can. Now know also what your outro is going to be. Know what your call to action is going to be. Know how you're going to wrap up because that's a part that people get nervous with sometimes too, that call to action, that, you know, that next piece, that's super important. So learn your intro, learn your outro. Now next, when you're on camera with a bunch of other people, the most important thing you can do is look straight down the barrel. Because if I was speaking to you like this, Ethan, the whole time, hi, it's really nice to see you. Yeah, welcome to the show. It's really great, blah, blah, blah. Now, the actual audience who's watching me is seeing my eyes look down and they're seeing the top of my head more than they're feeling my engagement directly. So when I'm looking straight down the barrel like that, it makes the audience member feel like I'm only speaking to them. They're getting a direct relationship with me directly. It doesn't feel like it's, hey, guys, you guys, it's all of you, hundreds of people here, and I'm doing this. It's very distracting to watch the screen. Just speak to the camera. Of course, when we're listening to somebody, we can watch them react that way. That's normal. That's natural. But when you're speaking, speak directly to the camera. Yeah, love that. Amazing points there. And I guess following on from that, we're getting now back into normality, let's call it, post-COVID, where we're getting out of lockdowns, depending on where you are in the world. I know, you know, here in Sydney, we're just starting to come out of it, which is awesome. And, you know, live events are going to start getting there. And I know that there's a big, um, you know, craving is probably a good word, right, for live events, because we all crave connections. And yeah. people are going to want to go out there, you know, if, if we're presenting on stage at a live event, we really want to hit the, you know, the ground running, right, with a bang um, so that we do it. So maybe, you know, there were some amazing points you just said there about virtual, but in a different sense about on stage, maybe what's something, you know, so that we're an authority, because obviously being on stage, there's a lot more people see everything about us, about how to have that authority on a physical stage as well. Yeah, look, absolutely. Stage is very, very different, of course, because now we can be bigger. We can be much more animated. And I think that was a, a big problem with transitioning is this is a very small space that we have to be in. We can't be too animated. We have to change the way that we teach also because we've only got this amount of space available to us with our hands. But when you're on stage, especially a big stage, you have to actually fill the entire space with your energy. That's a very different ask. Now, you don't want to be running around like a mad idiot because that's going to make you sound seem like a squirrel that's very out of, <laughs> out of control. What you do want to do is have somebody introduce you so you can increase that no like trust factor immediately. 
having an introduction, whether it be somebody actually introduce you and bringing you on the stage or a video playing that sets the scene that introduces you to the audience, either one of those will set you up as the authority in that space very quickly. They're the two ways that I suggest that everybody open. And in fact, I even do that on webinars now. I use a video on my webinar. So I welcome people in and this will work. I've seen Tony Robbins do this too. This will work in a live space as well as a webinar space. When you have a video playing, when people are coming in and getting seated, it just, it gets them, gives them a little bit of a taste of you and what's to come. And they will feel like they know you and trust you a little bit more before you walk on. Now, the second thing is, depending on whether you have a headset or a handheld mic, I've done both, loads and loads of gigs of both. I love handhelds mostly because I have more control over handhelds, more fun, you know, to have that power and to be able to, you know, to really use the mic and then really get down and dirty with it. There's lots you can do vocally speaking with a handheld mic. You can't do so much with the, the headset. It's a little more limiting, but that will be depending on the sound guy, you know, which one that you're going to go with. But if you're going to walk on stage with a handheld mic, the very first thing you need to do is own the stage. Don't walk on and apologize for your being there by, you know, slinking on stage or fighting with the microphone cable or something like that. You need to really know how to hand hold the mic. And in fact, you know, I don't, well, I have this mic here, but you know, when people sometimes hold the mic wrong, they'll look like they're blessing the audience with it. You know, it's like the Pope does. <laughs> it's like they, they're literally doing this because they're so afraid of the microphone that they're trying to keep it away from them. But then the poor guy at the back that's trying to raise the, the sound of the microphone is just going to keep turning it up until it squeals at you because you've got it too far away. So you've really got to get friends with your microphone as fast as you can. Practice with anything, even if it's, if it's a pen. Practice, hold something that's literally two centimeters from your face and walk around the room and make sure it stays glued. Never bring the microphone away from you. You stay here. And then when you have control over the microphone like that, you can go really close down to the front of the audience and speak as quietly as you want. And people will lean in and listen to every word that you say. If you want to reach the back of the room, stand in the center of the stage and raise your voice and then move your microphone out of the way so you don't blast the speakers out. You know, obviously you want to, you want to be riding that microphone the whole time. So those, those types of microphone and stagecraft techniques are really important for people to learn. And that's something that I, I love teaching, but it's a bit hard to teach that on Zoom. Definitely. It's harder, you know, but I can't wait to get back into a room with real people, you know, and to be able to, you know, do all this sort of stuff on stage. It's really fun. It's sometimes the biggest thing that I've done when I was do doing this in America years ago, sometimes the biggest thing I had to do in the very first day of, a, say, a three or four-day event is get people to walk on stage with that microphone literally and stand there and stare at the audience and be okay about that. That's even the first step because some people are so nervous about standing on that stage and having everybody stare at them that everything just goes wrong. They forget what they're going to say. They stumble. They, you know, stammer. They do all that because they're just so nervous. When you really get used to the fact that you can ground yourself, you can stand in the middle of that stage and guess what? Yes, they're looking at you, but you're looking at them too. And this is a perfect opportunity to connect with new people and make new relationships. That's all that I see that, that work as. That's what our job is, to connect with people and inspire them to some sort of next step. Yeah, I love that. Really powerful. And you have a physical book called The Seven Deadly Sins of Public Speaking. So let us yep. know what they are and advise us, you know, how can we you know, avoid them, I guess, to an extent of, of creating a dynamic presentation? Yeah, look, absolutely. So it's a very, very easy book to read. It's about 24 pages long. It's, um, it's on Amazon. It's a Kindle book. 
Um, it's 27 pages long. It's really, really simple. You can consume it in, you know, 30 minutes. But here's the premise. The very first one is make a pr- first impression. And that's just what we covered, actually. One of the biggest things that I see, the pitfalls that I see is people coming on and looking apologetic because they're, they're not walking with their shoulders open. They don't walk onto that stage as though the crowd is waiting for them. They sort of slink onto the stage and they don't make an impact in that first 30 seconds. That's super important. So when you're walking on the stage, people should be cheering and clapping, walk on, take center stage, make the stand, and then what you're going to say next is really going to make an impression. So owning that stage and making that first impression is super important. Now, making that first impression can also be what you're wearing. Make sure that your message shines more than your outfit. You don't want your outfit to be remembered and the words that you speak to be forgotten. It's much more important that your message is the most important thing that people hear. And when you do this really well, they may not even remember your name, but they'll remember how you made them feel and you might, they might remember your message. That is super important. So you don't want to go on there with all spangles and stuff and just be so bold that people are discussing your outfit or your earrings or your makeup or your hair more than they're discussing your message. That's what I think. I think we should just get out of our own way and let the message shine. Number two is not doing your homework. When you're speaking to a particular crowd, and this is a great example for me, When I'm speaking to adults, I'll do um, trainings with, say, Tony Robbins speakers, and those people are coaches and trainers, so they're using their voice every single day, and they're all adults. If I'll be doing a half-day training for those types of people, my presentation will look and sound a certain way because of my audience. I know they're trainers. I know they're life coaches. I know they're business coaches. I know they're consultants. They're people, entrepreneurs at a very high level. Now, I can do a similar type of presentation teaching the same points to Magic Moments Foundation, for instance, in Sydney, but their children between the age of of 12 and 17 who are learning to be leaders. Now, they need the same skills that I'm teaching, but I can't speak to them in the same way. I can't have the same energy. I can't speak in in the same sort of construction with kids it's got to be higher it's got to be more energy it's got to be more fun it's got to be really engaging you've got to get them up on the on the stage they've got to be engaged much more quickly adults will be more polite and they'll pay more attention but kids are harder because you've got to you know mix it up the whole time so when you do your homework on who your audience is things become much easier. If you know to whom you're speaking, you can change up your presentation and the way that you're presenting to make sure that you reach that type of the audience. The next one is the 30-second rule. And the greatest example I've ever seen of this, and I'm sure actually, no, there's there's probably lots of great examples. There's two great examples. The 30-second rule is how you're opening your presentation. Right now, most people will come on and say, Hi, my name is Elisa James and I'm a voice coach, and blah blah blah. You know, they'll come on and do some sort of introduction. Absolutely not necessary. When we use the 30 second rule, we realize that we have about 15 to 30 seconds to really make an impression really fast by what comes out of our mouth. So, what I do, I do this on my YouTube channel all the time. When I learned this, I realized that the way that we use a wow statement, a very powerful yes insinuation question or a statistic is the best way to open. And a great example is is Jamie Oliver. When he walked in to do his TED talk, he came on and said, it's not exactly right. So please forgive. It's not exactly right. He walked on and said, as he was walking on the stage in the next 14 and a half minutes, while we're having this chat, approximately 63 people will die in America from the foods that they put in their mouth. And can you imagine the audience going, what? <laughs> that really grabs people's attention because it wasn't expected. It's a very confronting statement that X amount of people will die while he's just standing here for 14 minutes because of the foods that they're eating. It was a very, very powerful way to start a presentation. Now, the, the, one of the 
Toastmasters world champion of public speaking, one of the most watched videos on TED Talk, was this Indian gentleman who came on, didn't say a thing for his first 30 seconds. He came on and went, got a cigarette out of his pocket, put the cigarette in his mouth, got a lighter, and then the whole audience was going, (gasps) like, boo, and things like that. And then he was holding the lighter and went, what? You don't want me to smoke? And then that was his whole opening thing. So for 30 seconds, it was completely disruptive. It was a brilliant way to capture people's attention because it wasn't expected. So that first 30 seconds is super important. Think about how you could open this really unexpected and powerfully with a wow statement, a statistic, or a question. Super, super powerful. The next one is hypnotizing your audience. Number four, that is all about that monotone syndrome that we were talking about before, that predictive prosody. When you have the same sort of predictive patterns, you will hypnotize your audience. And some of the predictive patterns we talked about are monotone. Another one that I forgot to mention, which is number five of the disempowering vocal sounds, is upward inflection. Hi, my name is Elisa James. I'm a voice coach. And today I'd like to teach you all about public speaking. See, that's all predictive because I went up, up, up as though I'm asking your permission to continue speaking. All of those predictive prosodies are going to hypnotize your audience. So make sure you mix it up and surprise the audience so they have no idea what's going to happen next. Keep them on their toes. Keep them on, you know, in in the palm of your hand. That's what we want. The next one is dehydration. I call it the dry camel effect. If you are not hydrated and you are nervous, you're going to get into trouble. Having a glass of water at the back of the stage and taking your audience, excuse me, I'm just going to have a glass of water. It's horrible. Why would you do that to your audience? Look at my butt for a minute. <laughs> it's like you it could be entertaining if you make it entertaining, which I would do, but you don't need to do that. If you are literally going to speak on stage for hours at a time like I do, you need to be fully hydrated 2 hours before you walk on that stage. Anything less than that is not going to help. Being on the stage and then sipping water, it's too late. You need to be hydrated the night before, don't drink the night before, and then hydrate for two hours before you walk on. You'll be absolutely fine for a couple of hours, no problem. You won't need to keep sipping. The next one, number six, is warm up. If you neglect to warm up, you could be going uh, 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 for the first 10 minutes trying to get rid of all that mucus. It's super important that you get your vocal folds warmed up just like you would your body. What do you think Tony Robbins and Brenda Burchard and everyone does before they get on stage? They're doing their stretches, they're doing their warm ups, they're hydrating, they're steaming, they're doing all the vocal warm ups. Is what you do if you take your job seriously. And your job as a speaker is to communicate with your instrument. Take your instrument seriously. And if you do, you'll do all of this. And the last one is, Number seven, don't try to talk your way out of stage fright. When you're on stage and you're nervous and you're anxious and you start to doubt yourself, the more you beat yourself up, the worse it's going to get. The best thing that you can do is be prepared and ground yourself and have some really good techniques so that no matter how nervous you are, you can keep going. You won't drop the ball, not for one second because you'll be able to deal with anything that's thrown at you. And that's why I teach, you know, because all of these things I used to do wrong years ago. You know, I used to lose my voice all the time. I used to be nervous, so nervous I wanted to give up. I literally was this close to giving up my career about 20, 25, 30 years ago or so. I was so over it because I was so tired of losing my voice and being anxious about it about the both things. And, and the more nervous I was, the more I'd lose my voice and the more I was losing my voice and I wasn't, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It was just, a, it was just a horrible situation. And so this is the reason that I'm so passionate these days is because I had to fix all that. 
you know, I studied for 10 years and did three career, three degrees in a row to figure everything out. And so that's why I coach in a holistic way nowadays. Yeah, love that. Really powerful, uh, that whole section there. And as we're wrapping up now, Elisa, um, what just simply one key piece of advice would you give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Find your true authentic voice of confidence. That's the best thing that you can do for your career and your career growth. It helps your life. It helps your communication. It helps you feel happy and fulfilled. And it helps you become a more successful person generally. Really ground yourself. Know your why and find your true authentic voice of confidence. Everybody can tap into that. And if you need help, shout out. Love that. So powerful. We connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from having over 30 years experience in the entertainment industry and 20 years in the coaching and speaking arena to now coaching many top speakers on protecting their voice, sounding like a leader and presenting like a pro. You're an amazing woman and I'm sure you will continue to help people in need to find their unique voice so they can share their talents with the world. I'm very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you further, Lisa. So how can people find you getting in contact with you? Yeah, look, below we'll put the link to my website, elisajames.com. And also the best thing to really get to know what I do and how I teach is to jump over to my YouTube channel. And that's called The Voice of Confidence TV. Very easy to find. You just pop it in the search engine at the above, above and you'll see a big banner with me. And that's, um, it's got great information for any sort of public speaking and presenting skills. I've got dozens and dozens of videos up there. Super for everybody. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Definitely go check out Elisa on her website, YouTube, everything. Uh, she is amazing as you know, I'm sure you all agree from today. So thank you everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. I visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way you know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.